first reading this morning can be found in the prophet Zechariah on page 995 in the church Bible. Zechariah chapter 9, reading from verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river Euphrates to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. That is the word of the Lord and so is the second reading on page 988 in the Gospel of Matthew and chapter 21. Page 988, Matthew chapter 21, beginning at the first verse. Imagine a bright, sunny day. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowd answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of the Lord.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the freedom we have to read your word as we sit and listen now. Please speak to our hearts. Allow us to be changed by what we read. Amen. How are we doing? Are we still awake? Early start this morning. I'm tempted to keep those actions going, Simon, every time I mention Jesus, donkey, but maybe not, maybe not. Today, <laughs> thank you, Liz. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about surprises, unexpected happenings. I wonder if um, any unexpected happening has ever happened to you. Something good, something bad? Perhaps you'd like to share with your neighbor something that's happened, a big surprise for you, but most importantly, how did it make you feel? What was it that happened? What was the surprise party? Something? How did it make you feel? To share for a moment with your neighbor. Lots of smiles, one or two frowns. How do you respond to surprises? I don't know. So what have we been talking about? What kind of things? Shout out. Any ideas? Birthdays. Birthdays? Croissant. Okay. A job, excellent. Anything else? Holidays, yes, they're good ones. Sur balloon rides, extraordinary. That would be a surprise. Surprise parties, gifts, holidays, babies, but also bad news. An accident, redundancy. Whoop! I think you walked into that with your family. That was so well cued. A collapsible preacher. Slightly shocked. <laughs> you couldn't have linked that better if you tried. It's like being on Blue Peter. <laughs> you just stay where you are. It's good to have your boss at your feet, you know. Okay. <laughs> so, not all surprises are pleasant. <laughs> Unexpected things happen. They can delight and thrill. They can make us feel loved and appreciated, full of joy that we're so blessed. They can also cause shock and dismay, possibly even throw you into confusion and despair. Tales of the unexpected rarely leave you untouched. They leave their mark. Palm Sunday brings us to the beginning of the last act in Jesus' story, his life on earth. Like many good stories, however, it has a twist in the tale. The ending is not at all what people might have expected. Now, sometimes God is really merciful to preachers. Having read the passages for this week when I sat down to prepare, I was wondering what on earth 
the arrival of a king to a city after an extended period of absence might look like in this day and age. And lo and behold, just for my benefit, King Richard III was returned to Leicester for burial this week. Now, admittedly, an an interment is a solemn occasion. But in fact, people came from around the world in their thousands to honor the last of the Plantagenet kings on his final journey. And from outlying villages right the way to Leicester Cathedral, crowds lined the route. There was music and pageantry. There were flags and processions, candles, fireworks. People threw white roses at the coffin as it passed on a gun carriage drawn by four truly magnificent war horses. Horses with names fit for the service of a king. Lionheart, Temple, Ariel, Bowrun. They were kitted out in full ceremonial regalia and chosen for their experience in ceremonial events. And so they were unafraid of the crowds. And of course, there was an escort, knights in armor and military personnel to ensure that the returning king was accorded appropriate dignity. And I know all of this because the BBC streamed it live with commentary from a helicopter that flew overhead. So that's the answer to my question. That's what it would look like in this day and age. Some similarities, I guess, but many contrasts to the scene described by Matthew in today's reading. I'm really scared of touching this now. (laughs) The Gospel tells us that Jesus had traveled with his disciples from the north. He had just healed two men, restored their sight, and he'd met Zacchaeus, spiritually blind. Jesus had restored his life too to the way it was intended to be. He's coming to the end of this long journey from Galilee down to Jerusalem. Google Maps tells me it would take 31 hours to walk if you went flat out. We join him here at Bethpage, which is a sort of suburb of Jerusalem, separated from the city itself by the Kidron Valley. There would have been hordes of people making the same journey for the Jewish feast of the Passover. In fact, relatively contemporary census material tells us that a quarter of a million lambs were sacrificed for that festival, one for every 10 pilgrims. So that is a lot of people. The city was brimful of people who'd come with high religious expectations to celebrate a festival of immense importance to every Jew. But they are an unhappy people under occupation, and they long for God to give them once again the deliverance that this celebration reminds them of from a previous season in their history. Jesus had walked every step of the way so far. This is the only occasion in the Gospels when he's recorded, in fact, as not being on foot. So we can reasonably ask ourselves, why did he feel the need of a donkey now? Jesus is not being swept away with the crowd and its enthusiasm. 
Sending for these donkeys is an intentional act. In a simple yet profound turn of events, Jesus is dramatizing, acting out his message. Like Jeremiah and other prophets before him, when people simply won't listen to his words, Jesus acts out the message he wants to convey. He reminds the crowd in this way of the prophecy from Zechariah that we had read. It's a tiny prophetic book at the end of the Old Testament, but it declares to Jerusalem that her king will arrive, bringing salvation, yet riding on the foal of a donkey. Without uttering a single word, Jesus is presenting himself as the king of the Jews. Different kings down the years have marked their reign in different ways. 200 or so years before Jesus, Judas Maccabeus, a Jewish military leader, had entered the city of Jerusalem to shouts from the Psalms and to public acclaim. His reign was marked by violence and physical power. But perhaps that's what you might expect from a Messiah, a display of power and influence. Surely Jerusalem needed a strong leader. A thousand years before, Jerusalem had been the city from which King David reigned, and the Jews had been praying for another king just like him for at least half of the intervening time. Jesus, however, is a king with a different agenda. Unlike Judas Maccabeus and unlike Richard III, there is a borrowed donkey in place of a team of great war horses. And that speaks of humility instead of earthly power, peace instead of conflict. He's not giving away gold coins or treasure to please the crowds, as the Roman emperors sometimes did, but he's willing instead to shed his own precious blood. In spite of the air of carnival and celebration of a homecoming king, today, in a few short, day, uh, today, in a sh- few short days, the same people will be calling for his death. He's not processing away from a battle in glory. He's humbly progressing towards it. He's not trailing captives in his wake, but rather getting ready to set them free. Yes, Jesus is indeed a king with a very different agenda, and the crowd is stirred to ask, who is this? The people in this enormous crowd recognized something extraordinary in Jesus that day, but they clearly didn't quite understand him. I guess it's not at all surprising that a nation under occupation, under the occupation of a cruel and and brutal foreign regime, longed for a savior, a king to deliver them. They cry out with the language that they treasured from the Psalms, Hosanna to the son of David. When we hear that today, we simply hear a cry of joy and welcome to a king. And there is that in it as people strew their cloaks beneath his feet. Our own Sir Walter Raleigh reminds us that that's a symbol of complete devotion to your monarch, a visual picture of an individual's determination to hold nothing back 
in the service of your king or queen. But if that's all we think that word means, then we've lost something in the translation because it's a word of greeting that is essentially a cry of the heart for deliverance. Both in Psalm 118 and here, Hosanna is saying, save us now. It's the desperate cry of an oppressed people to their savior and king. However, they were so clear about how they expected God to answer their prayers for salvation that they didn't see it when he did so in a way that they weren't quite expecting. They knew Jesus was a king, but they didn't know what kind of king he was. I expect they would have been rather delighted with King Richard's war horses and his military escort. They wanted a warrior to free them from Roman servitude, and they were so wrapped up in what they thought the answer should look like that they didn't understand the nature of Jesus' kingship or his kingdom. The story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem is the climax of his pilgrimage and also of the story of the relationship between God and the people of Israel. However, Israel's vision of what it wanted was fundamentally different from what God was offering. Somehow, there was a mismatch between the expectations and God's answer. It was to be a tale of the unexpected. The Jewish people had hoped that the Messiah would bring an end to the Roman occupation. Now, awful though that was, it was a surface evil. Jesus came to deal with the root of the problem. God's plan was so much bigger than anything they had dreamed of. The Jews simply wanted God to free them from the tyranny of Rome. Now, before we leap to criticize their short-sightedness, let's examine our own hearts, for I'm not sure that we are any different. Don't we long to see a world free from injustice, suffering, and pain? On Thursday lunchtime, Simon and I sat right here in church as we discussed the breaking news that the awful plane crash in the French Alps had, in fact, it seemed, been a deliberate act of suicide on the part of the pilot. And we both fell silent, actually, as we struggled to make sense of such a terrible thing. How could such a thing have been allowed to happen? How can we forgive such wanton disregard for life? The trauma of suicide has touched several of us here, and we don't really talk about it because it's hard to find words to express the pain and the complicated emotions that are involved. Sometimes only silence will suffice. And yet suicide is only one horrible expression of the brokenness in the world. There are many, many more. Not one of us is untouched. We all have private pain. Perhaps it's an illness or a broken relationship that brings us sadness. Perhaps it's a struggle against a weakness that no one else knows about. God wanted to offer healing and hope, 
eternal salvation to all men and women everywhere. Freedom on a completely different level. The people of Israel's motives for welcoming Jesus were very self-centered. They hoped to be rescued. We're all quite good at turning to God with our requests when life isn't going too well. In desperate times, the most surprising people find the need to talk to God. And in moments of tragedy, churches are full of people turning to God to make sense of the mess. But God is ever gracious. He doesn't wait for our motives to be pure before he answers our prayers. He does, however, answer them in his own way, in a way that brings about the deepest good for our lives. When we invite Jesus to step in and help us, he answers more thoroughly than we could ever have dreamed possible. Palm Sunday is a celebration of joy, a welcome for a king. In this tale of the unexpected, Jesus, our servant king, nears the end of his earthly journey and he, off he offers a last invitation to people to open their hearts to him. Unlike conquering armies who demand reluctant submission, Jesus asks only for our voluntary surrender. He comes to love, not to destroy, to heal and to help rather than condemn. The city is full to the brim of Jews come to offer a Passover sacrifice, an important moment in the Jewish calendar. But it marks a moment of eternal significance when Jesus, son of the almighty God, chooses to give himself as the ultimate sacrifice, the answer to all of our deepest needs. In fact, we don't need words because he knows our hearts. He offers us this opportunity to open our hearts to him, to declare him our servant king. It's the beginning of the end of the story for Jesus' earthly life. The beginning for us of Holy Week, when we consider the costly journey that Jesus took for our sakes. Not in splendor and with great dignity, but in humility and grace on a humble donkey. On Thursday, it seemed to me really poignant. Because I wanted God to be a big, strong king on a charger that day. I was struggling with that news. But our moment of silence was ended by the joyful arrival of St. Andrew's School for their end of term service. In they all came. How many were you, do you think? 186 children, grown-ups, here to celebrate with their end of term service. They were here to reenact the Easter story. Quite literally, into our pain came Jesus, riding on a donkey into town, as the song goes. Acted out by children in costume, you know, fluffy tails and tea towels on the head. Jesus came right into the mess 
of our 21st century lives here and now. Now, usually I visit the school on a Thursday, often to tell Bible stories in assembly, with the hope that the truth of the gospel might gently impact their lives. This week, it was I who was blessed, because their beautiful retelling of the unexpected events of Easter week reminded me that it's not just a fairy story, a bit of British tradition that we're passing on. No. The gospel matters because it brings home the truth that God has loved us so much that he gave his only son to die an unspeakably cruel death for us on the cross and to rise again on Easter morning so that whoever believes in him might be restored to relationship with God forever. This is the God we celebrate as we gather around the communion table this morning. Not a God who stands aloof, powerful yet remote, but a God who experienced the pain of rejection himself, humbling himself to live and die amongst us so that we might experience eternal life. Our God is truly the God of the unexpected turn of events. As we retell the story now, and remember his sacrifice with ordinary bread and ordinary wine, I invite you to bring him your pain and your sorrow, but also your joy and your success. For wherever you find yourself in life today, high or low, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and turned towards the cross for you to give you eternal hope and salvation. And that is indeed a cause for celebration. Amen.